and this is View the Valley's podcast, Season 3, Episode 13, with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, heck of a week last week to wrap up the regular season. Yes, it was. I mean, I think things really kind of went sideways in the OVC. did they? (laughs) Uh, You know, a surprising win by Belmont, not because you didn't think they could win, but because it didn't look like they were going to win, and that really... I mean, really changed things as far as seeding. I mean, you were looking at Belmont and Southern Illinois kind of competing for that, you know, thought they were going to be vying for that four or five seed, you know, who was going to get the extra day off. And all of a sudden, Indiana State's on the outside looking in. And, you know, Missouri State's looking like just world beaters. Now, it's 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 really remarkable. And I just thought it was really cool how the, it worked out on the MVC side that, the top two teams tied for the league lead are playing at the last time slot on Sunday to end the regular season. Sure. I mean, that's what you hope for. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think every game impacted seeding. There was oh, there was something, you know, in even the Illinois State Evansville, Illinois State jumps up to the nine seed. You know, that, that's every game had an impact. So. It was really exciting to watch from that perspective. Excited about this week. I, I'm interested to see what it's going to be like walking into Enterprise Center at noon on Thursday, when it's usually get a full day of work in, then go. Is it going to feel like Thursday night? I always did all day long. Or, I mean, Indiana State, from what I, I saw on social media, sold out their allotment of tournament tickets. So let me ask you this. So you're... You're going down there early. Um, yeah, I think we got plans to get breakfast. I was going to ask if, if you're guys. I'm going to give you a secret here. If you're looking for breakfast in St. Louis, Hammerstones in Soulard. So I knew I knew you're going to go somewhere with a with a hefty breakfast because I'm sure you're going to indulge in maybe one beer per media timeout. Okay, yeah, that, that's that's probably a pretty good <laughs> average. Yeah. Especially if I can get, get a get a head start beforehand, so I'm not paying for the fifteen dollar beers all weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've actually never eaten there at Hammerstone. I have not. We found it by accident, like not by accident, but it's like, hey, this place has breakfast. Let's go. And I, I was looking on the menu today. There's something on there. I'm like, oh, these other things look good. Like, nope, I know what I'm getting. Don't don't even give me the menu. I'm I'm gonna lie to myself and tell me I'm getting something else. But no. Well. I got a lot to cover in the OVC. Um, I mean, the, the the ending of the regular season was just bizarre. I, oh, for sure. I mean, for more than one team. Um, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. We usually start with the Missouri Valley. So what happened this past week in the Missouri Valley that closed out the uh, regular season? I think the big one, like I said, was on uh, Wednesday night. Indiana State is at Belmont. Indiana State has control of the game, and I believe at one point it was 87-76, something like that, and Belmont finishes the game on like a 13-2 run, somewhere in that age. I know my numbers aren't right, but I think it was 86-76, somewhere in there, but they they finish the game, and just and they, they steal a win. I mean, you don't think you have to steal a win at home, but they definitely did. Um uh, Southern Illinois, I think, catches a break against Northern Illinois. Unfortunately, Bowen Bourne, who you know is their leading scorer, led the league in scoring for a long time, 
has an upper leg injury. I don't know if it was a quad or a hamstring and really kind of allows Southern Illinois to open things up. Lance Jones bounced back, was named player of the week after, you know, the previous okay. week having not scored against Bradley and only playing 16 or 17 minutes. So from Wednesday night, that those were the big ones. And then Sunday, Drake versus Bradley is the big one, you know, and both teams had long winning streaks and Bradley really, I felt kind of dominated the game. Now Drake came out early in the second half, took a 41 to 40 lead, but then Bradley kind of went back into found another gear. And I know Hickman led him with 19 points and mass had another double, double, but I just think as Duke Dean plays for them, that's how Bradley goes. If you can find a way to, to neutralize Duke Dean, I think you're going to have a lot of success against it, but which nobody's really had success against them. Sure. Um, you know, Tucker DeVries only has 11 points, but you know, mass only had 12 with 13 boards. Belmont Northern Iowa was a dogfight. Looked like Belmont was going to pull away. Northern Iowa gave them all they wanted. I think they tied it later, got within two. And then Missouri State really led Indiana State the entire way. And Indiana State made a run, had a shot to tie it late. And uh, Cooper Nice just couldn't get it to fall. And then Murray State, you know, comes back against Valparaiso, goes to overtime. And I have been and always will be a person that doesn't say, I, I won't say you shouldn't make that call to, that decides the game as a referee. I think you should make the call if, because if it was a foul in the first minute, it's a foul in the last minute. Agreed. There's a foul at the end of overtime. The trail official calls a foul as the guy's driving to the basket in the final seconds for Murray state. And calls it against Ben Cricky, and from behind, yeah, it looks like a foul, but when they showed the angle from, you could see the front sure. of the driver, Cricky's arm hits the ball, and they call the foul with half a second left. Wow. So Murray State goes to the line, hits one of two, misses the second one on purpose. It's just, that was a tough call to make from that angle is what I thought. You know, I don't have a problem with you making a call if it's a sure. foul. But that was a tough one to make. And, you know, I'll be honest, Southern Illinois. Well, and you, and you hate to see ahead. a whistle decide a game to or, or lead to. Yeah, especially when it's a questionable one. If it's a foul, late, it's a foul. Yeah. You know, um, and then the Southern Illinois, Illinois, Chicago game, a, another dogfight. This one was three points. I think the last one in Southern Illinois a couple weeks ago was two points. So, you know, if you, as a Southern Illinois fan, if UIC can somehow sneak past Missouri State, I'm not comfortable Friday playing them again. When you beat them by a combined five points in two games, I can see that. You know, I'm not real comfortable about them playing Missouri State either. So, yeah, I mean, it was exciting. Had Indiana State won on Thursday, on Wednesday, excuse me, they would have really been in the driver's seat. But that loss to Belmont just really changed things. So it went into yesterday, Sunday, that as long as Southern Illinois won, because it came down and and the unbalanced schedule came into play. Because Southern yeah, Illinois yeah. and Belmont only played each other once, and they played back in December, I think it was. Southern Illinois wins. They have a the tiebreaker instead of having Belmont have another chance to play Southern Illinois. So I think if you're Belmont, you're kind of like, dude, what happened? So let me ask you this. So the regular season has came to an end. 
what team were you most surprised or disappointed in if you had to pick one team? They either Indiana stood out. State. I think starting out 6-0, and uh, you know, still if, if you would have told them they were going to be the fifth seed and win 20 ball games, I think they would have taken that. And I don't think right now Coach Scherz is having like, hey, oh, I'm sure. we yeah. missed a day off. We we let one slip away at, at, at home against Bel- – or at Belmont, excuse me. So that that's – that's tough to swallow, I think. But I think when you look back on it, hey, we we were picked to finish bottom half of the league. We win twenty ball games. You know, should have been the three seed. Yeah. You know, that's a lot a lot different to look at it. Um, I think I expected more out of Northern Iowa initially, but when you look really at their roster, they were pretty um, inexperienced. I'll go with, even though Bowen Bourne is, I think, classified okay. as sophomore. It's been there for three years, which is a running joke on Twitter that, you know, people like Bowen Bourne could be freshman of the year again just because of COVID and everything else. So that's what stood out to me. Now, I know you got a lot to cover on the OVC side because things just, other than Moorhead State, things kind of went sideways. Like, Oh, it did. I mean. It's like, it's like bizarro world. Like. I the way the standings I mean looked I mean you had a couple teams that had a phenomenal chance at a double buy a single buy at worst if things went their way and then ended up not getting either. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a four way tie. Yeah, for second place going into Saturday's games. So we'll start with Thursday. You were at the SIUE game, Little Rock. Mm-hmm. Not sure what the hell happened. Um, did not expect Little Rock to. Go into Edwardsville and win. Um, Ray Shans had 21 points, five assists, did his thing. But the way SIU Edwardsville started out, you would have thought that this was this was their league this mm-hmm. year. What five and zero? Yeah, started out, um, played great defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way the way that the season ended, yeah, they got a win on Saturday, which we'll get to that too. Um, so maybe a little momentum going in. Um, but if I'm Southern Indiana, I, I don't know if I'm excited or a little nervous to play SIU Edwardsville in that first round. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing what the Cougars are capable of doing. Um, Tennessee Tech, big win on the road against Southern Indiana. Jalen Seabree, double-double, 17 points, 10 boards. Um, that's a game that t- turned out to be big. If Tennessee Tech doesn't get that win on the road, they don't get that double bye mm-hmm. um, that they now have um, this week. Um, Polakovich, double-double, 15 boards. Kind of a letdown for him. Didn't get to 20 rebounds that game. Um, <laughs> but the two the two teams I really wanted to mention that kind of disappointed. UT Martin, 0-2 the final week. SEMO, 0-2 the final week. Uh, UT Martin, both of them were up there vying for that double bye. Mm-hmm. Vying. Um UT Martin need to win against Tennessee State. Kudos to Tennessee State and Junior Clay, who only had nine points out of 88. With 11 assists. With, with 11 assists. I mean, it makes you angry because you only had nine points. You want to throw your phone, doesn't it? It does. I mean, <laughs> for for a team that's relied heavily on Junior Clay, you would have thought Came that. Came off a 40-point game last exactly. week. Exactly. <laughs> so you would have thought that if they're going to beat UT Martin, he's probably going to go over 20. But nonetheless, he did his thing, um, finished the league not only leading the league in points per average, but also led the league in uh, assists as well, as noted there with 11. Um, so Tennessee State, big win, 
But, I mean, the game SEMO at Lindenwood, I don't care that it went to double overtime. Um, Lindenwood averages less than 70 points a game, and you give up 105 to mm. Lindenwood. Yes, I understand there was 10 bonus minutes. SEMO was curb stomping Lindenwood in the first half. I mean, I think with four minutes in, four minutes into the second half, SEMO was up 20 and then just blew up. I mean, it, turnover, turnover, bad shot, quick shots. I mean, everything that could have went wrong for SEMO went wrong. Now, kudos to Lindenwood for not giving up. I mean, the crowd was good. A lot, lot of fans there. Um, pretty bizarre. It looked like their cheerleading squad was like 65 cheerleaders. It's like they just kept showing up. They had some on the baseline. They had some doing stunts in the corner. They had like 30 sitting in the bleachers behind the basket. I, I lost track at 65. I, I don't know what that's. And that's not even dancers. Like they had their own dance squad on the other end of the court. Like I've never seen anything like it. Um, But to go off of that, this is a game SEMO had to win to have a chance at that double buy. Um, You know, well, even if they but, win it they, and lose losing on Saturday to SIUE, they still have a shot at it. They still have a shot at it, or at worst, to get a single buy. Mm-hmm. Um, but to mention that, Chris Harris had a hell of a game for SEMO. Yeah, 30, so did Smart. 36 points, and Smart had 22. And SEMO didn't go too deep into their bench, part of it being your your best player. Yeah, I think that's fair. In, in regards, uh, Philip Russell. Not there. Doesn't travel. League suspends him for a game for having too many technicals this year. How do you let that happen? I mean, if if you're if you're someone of that caliber that can score the ball at will, let the let the scoring do do the talking. I mean, to have that many technicals and to basically hurt your team down the stretch. Because I did Simo collapse up twenty? Yes. But SEMO wins if Philip Russell plays, in my opinion. I think they should have won without him. Um, but not only that, you translate that into Saturday. They go to SIUE. Now Philip Russell's back in the lineup. Maybe that hurt the gelling of the team when they put up 102 points. Don't know. You know, you don't really know how it affects the locker mm-hmm. room after, you know, maybe your best player has so many technicals and can't travel. I think... I, I understand what you're saying about kind of the, the chemistry's impacted. Now this guy's right back in the starting lineup. What kind of messages that send? But Aquan Smart, three fouls in the first half, including a technical. Uh, you know, Harris has three fouls in the first half, and Russell. I, if I remember right, he only had like five points until the under eight timeout of the second half, and, and just couldn't score it. And, and that, that goes to my, my next thing. Um, you mentioned technical. Now, I'm not saying everybody on the roster is like that, and not, not everyone's been like that every game. But when, when you watch a lot of games, you kind of see stuff stand out, or especially if you go to, you know, I've, I've been to a decent amount of SEMO games this year, um, you know, to see them play, but also see other OVC teams play. But... It just, I see it more on SEMO than I ever have in years past. Um, and I've seen it more on their team this year compared to other OVC teams. There's just, when things don't go like a player's way, it, there's there's pouting. And 
you haven't really seen that in years past. Um, but it just seems like if, if, if there's a foul on SEMO, it doesn't go that way. There's pouting. Um, and then at times it seems like there's been, you know, I don't say bickering, but you can tell that there's some frustration going on, but to leave it to that, they have wiped themselves out of a double buy and single buy, and now have to play every game or every day if they want to get to the championship, which is possible. But you know as well as I do, it's tough playing that many games in that many days. Right. You're gonna you're going to be on your third game when you're playing the two seed who hasn't played yet. Yep. Who's had what six days off by that time? Yeah. Because they'll play Friday. Which and and don't get me wrong it. Could sitting out that long have its have its own faults? Sure. Playing that many days could it have its plus because you're gelling together. But chances are the team that's more rested is the one that's going to have the advantage. Typically, you're playing a team who's hot in Lindenwood, who's won two games back to back in overtime, feeling really good about yep. themselves. Know they can beat you. Probably can still kind of find from a coaching staff perspective. I think you tell your kids like, yeah, we beat them. But people are saying, can we beat them with Russell? It took yeah. double overtime for us to beat them sure. without Russell. So I think you can motivate your kids that way. And then you turn around and you have to play another game against a team who hasn't played yet. You know, and then, you know, then you're looking at Tennessee Tech if you get past that. Yep. And, and Tennessee Tech did a nice job ending the season. Win two a, games on the road. Yep, and, that, and that's that's tough. To, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It, it's just tough to win on the road in college basketball. They get a 75-66 win at Eastern. Um, Southern Indiana, kind of a big win for them, 93-81 over Tennessee State. And then, um, as, we had, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, UT Martin loses two, which I kind of expected that. Moorhead's done a nice job all year mm-hmm. winning the games. Defense, 58 points. Um, Alex Gross. Pulling a Jacob Polakovic here, 17 rebounds, 16 points. So big game for Moorhead State as they go into the tournament hot. I think if they, if all four teams in second place would have tied again, I think the break went to UT Martin because they had beaten Moorhead earlier in the year. Yeah. The way it, the way I remember it, because it was going to be either way, it was going to be in Tennessee Martin's favor. So with that, TJ, as we look ahead to. Um, the tournament. Um, do you want to break down a couple of the games that, or see what you're looking forward to in the first round games, or do we want to get into um, your the first team? Um, I'm not looking at the schedule right now, even though I kind of have it in my head. I'd love to look at the tournament schedule. Okay. So we want to break down our first team selections here. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Let you go first with the Missouri Valley. Uh, well, I'll start with. My Larry Bird Player of the Year, to me, while Rink Mass had a great season, I still think Tucker DeVries was the best player in the league. Sure. Um, I think Ben Shepard will be right there with the two of them from Bra- uh, excuse me, from Belmont. And then I, you round out the, t- the first team. So right now you have DeVries, Mass, Shepard, Marcus Damask. While he didn't have a great game on Sunday, I mean, he had 16 points, but it took 23 shots to get there. And maybe kind of disappeared in the first Bradley game at, at in Peoria. But then my, f- my fifth spot, and this was a tough one, I, I, took, I gave it to Ben Cricky from Val- Valparaiso. I know they're 5-15. and 15. 
You've been high on him all year. But he just, night after night after night, you know, you know, 19 points, 25 points, 32 points. Just I, I just think if you're looking at I kind of look at those guys as if I'm starting a team, which guys am I picking? Now, you're leaving off a very talented Roman Penn. Uh, Cravassier McCauley from uh, Indiana State, who's had a really good year. You know, I, I think all of those guys are right there in that conversation. But ultimately, I, I think Ben Crick. Now, if someone came in and said, hey, I'm putting Roman Penn on there. Yeah, I understand that. You know, um, so that's those are my that's my first team. My defensive player of the year led the league in steals goes to Lance Jones from Southern Illinois. I feel like watching a lot of broadcasts. It seems like where a lot of people are going to go with that. Freshman of the year is the Duax kid from um, Northern Iowa. Newcomer of the year, I think, is is pretty clear-cut, Cravassier McCauley. And then watching broadcasts on Sunday, I didn't see this name come up like I thought would. I mean, you saw a lot of, okay. uh, you know, for DeVries at Drake, um, you know, stuff like that. I think it's, it's Josh Schertz from Indiana State. And if you listened to us earlier – you know, it's no surprise that I'm pretty high on Indiana State's improvement this year. That's why I think it is. Like to me, that they were the the most improved program this year. Okay. After two years there, so that's how that played out for me. So on the OVC side, I think. <clears throat> well, I think it was a polit- a pretty clear cut MVP in my mind. Um, Junior Clay um, averaged nearly 19 points throughout the whole season um, and averaged over five and a half assists per game. Both those led the OVC. Um, without him, um, who knows what Tennessee State's like this year. But God bless. I know I've talked about it before. Could you imagine now that Tennessee Tech has this double buy, what Tennessee Tech would look like have Junior Clay still been able to be on mm-hmm. um, the Golden Eagles this year? I mean, that's a... That'd be a heck of a heck of an addition for Tennessee Tech. Um, but then the first team, um, I know that, you know, just mentioned um, kind of disappointed in, um, you know, Philip Russell and the technicals. But, um, I mean, his play has still been outstanding all year um, offensively. Uh, been a good facilitator, too. Um, second in the league in points, over 18 points per game. Um, he's been in the 20s and 30s a few times. Uh, and also over five assists per game. Um, so him and Junior Clay, the only two guys in the OVC that had at least an average of five assists per game. Um, Junior Clay totaled 162, and Philip Russell had 147. Next closest was 111. So both those kind of separated the mm-hmm. pack. Um, uh, Mark Freeman of Moorhead State, I um, really like what he did this year. Um, averaged nearly 15 points per game, but was pretty decent in assists as well, just under four per game. Um, he's a guy that's been in the OVC a little bit, and um, without him this year, I think Moorhead's not as good. Um, that's a guy that has really helped Moorhead State and Coach Spradlin's team um, overcome the loss of Janai Broom from uh, last year. Um, Parker Stewart, uh, UT Martin, I think he's worthy of being in there. Um, over 17 or almost 17 points per game. Um, you know, UT Martin struggled down the stretch, but if if he's able to get hot down the 
in the tournament along mm-hmm. with KJ Simon. There's no telling what UT Martin's able to do as well. Um, Jalen Seabury, um, Tennessee Tech, been big on him all year. Uh, Morehead State transfer. Um, he's just got a silky smooth shot. Seen him play in person a couple times. Um, if he's able to keep it going for Tennessee Tech along with um, Javis Harvey and uh, Brett Thompson, I think Tennessee Tech's got a good chance to to win it all. And then I, th- I think the last guy, you you he wasn't up there in points, middle of the pack, if you look at the top 30, top 25, what have you. But um, you got to have the big guy in there of Southern Indiana. I mean, <laughs> Polakovich seemed to have been in the 20 rebounding category quite a bit. Right. Um, without him, um, in their first year, D1, Southern Indiana doesn't finish with a winning record, more than likely. Um, so Plakovich is number five on my list, uh, finished with a double-double this year, um, averaged 12.8 points and 12.8 rebounds per game. Jesus. Um, defense, um, I think you go to Eastern Illinois, um, a team that moves the ball slow. Um, but Sincere Malone um, kind of s- stood out of the pack of everybody else in the conference. Um, had 62 steals on the year as a freshman. Um, so I think that's worth noting. Um, only guy in the conference that had at least two steals on average per game. Um, so I think Sincere Malone easily uh, gets that one. Um, coach of the year, um, I think you go to Coach Spradlin, what he's able to do with Moorhead State. Um, you know, some of the recruiting he was able to do in the offseason, get some guys there because it. Like I said, you lose Jani Broom, um, Seabury leaves. Um, this is a this was a team that damn near was completely new, and they do their thing by winning the conference and having a double bye. And as most most national uh, media sites have right now, is Morehead State as the mm-hmm. winner, and um, I think in a playing game right now, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I also think it's worth worth noting uh, what Stan Gerard was able to do with Southern Indiana. Oh yeah, first year Division One uh, winning record, um, sixteen and fifteen regular season, so they're guaranteed at least a five hundred record or better. Um, and and that, that's one thing that that could be, could be scary for SIUE going into the tournament. Southern Indiana basically playing at home. Yeah, well, both matchups. We can get to that when you when we transition. So. Unless you're ready to transition. That was my transition right there. Okay. I think both matchups for Wednesday night are intriguing because Southern Indiana, Southern Illinois split and one on the road, you know, and then you have that SEMO and Lindenwood obviously split when we've kind of covered Mm -hmm. last week's game pretty well. So those are two games that you're, I mean, if you were to get there Wednesday night, then you would you know, be well worth your price of admission. Oh, sure. Yeah, so those are two games that, I mean, I, that's a pretty good matchup. So you can say what you want about the gauntlet-style tournament, but that that's producing a much better matchup than having, you know, one versus eight. You know, maybe you have the four or five game that you're looking forward to. I get it. Um, I think both, both should be good matchups. Um, I think the... The Southern Indiana and SIUE game, um, it's going to be dependent on the defense and what, and basically 
defensive rebounding for Southern or SIUE? Yeah. Are they going to be able to keep Polakovich off the boards? I think SIUE not having Terrence Thompson because he's been injured. That's going to hurt them. I think you bring him off the bench to give Pruitt a break against Polakovich. That's going to, you know. And now uh, freshman, Arnis Sakenis played really well Saturday. Yeah. You know, but he's, he's still needs some development, but he's playing with a lot more confidence. So he gives you five fouls, he and Jonathan Curtis and, and Dewan Pruitt. Yeah, it'll. I'm looking forward to it because um, then you got what uh, Tennessee State and UT Martin are the ones that have the single buy, so mm-hmm. they'll be waiting to play the winner of those two on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just going to come down to defense. You know, Semo's been good on offense all year. Can they stop can, anybody? Can they stop stop anybody in the tournament? Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. Same yeah. thing for SIUE. Can they stop Polakovich off on the boards? Yep. So, but what do you see on the Missouri Valley here for the games on Thursday? On Thursday, Illinois State with a big win, I think, over Evansville. They've had some very competitive games. But the one that stands out to me is the 6 o'clock game because Murray State and Valparaiso going right back at it after they just played no T. Okay. You know, it's, it's always a weird dynamic to finish your season against one team and then turn right around and play them again. And I, I always feel like even though it went to OT, even though the Murray State kids know – that they barely won. I, I always have this feeling like kids, well, we won. Sure. You know, it doesn't matter if we won by one or if we won by 15. That's we, a win. We beat them. That's all that matters. You time. know, but I think that kind of gives them that false sense of security too. Okay. Where Valparaiso's like, dude, we should have had him. That call at the end of the game. You know, what happened there? You know, so things like that. I think that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how schools like Murray State, Illinois, Chicago, Belmont react in their first time playing at the Enterprise Center because by all accounts, it's it's tough to shoot there. It is. Because the background yep. is – because it's a hockey arena first, sure. so you don't have that immediate backdrop. Um, you know, the homer in me, that, that I hope that plays in SIU's favor. They've been such a defensive – stalwart team. You know, I was talking to my college roommate today. I'm like, well, if Southern Illinois and Bradley get to the the finals, it may be in the low 40s. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, 50, 48 at yeah. SIU last week. You know? like, oh, great. First one to 40 wins. <laughs> Are we watching the movie Hoosiers? <laughs> Are we watching a Division One basketball game in 2023? So uh, I think Bradley, as well as they're playing, has to be the favorite. Um, I could see Belmont giving them fits in the semifinals if they both get there. Okay. And I, my dark horse is Missouri State. Now I don't know if they're if I feel they're going to win it. They can win four games in four days. That's a tough task. But man, they've been playing well. You know, Donovan Clay's been getting help. Yeah, you know, yes, from the Morgan boys and and Mogbo is just I mean, all they do is throw it up towards the rim and Mogbo grabs it. So if you had to pick a winner right now, Missouri Valley, Bradley. I, that's that's easy way to go because they're the one seed, but they've been playing so well. And just that game yesterday against Drake, who's obviously the second best team in the league. Well, that's how I am on the OVC side. I mean, it's Morehead State's been seems like the only consistent team the whole year, you know, in the Missouri Valley or Ohio Valley. Um, I mean, there there are a couple dark horses in there, but 
you just don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a couple teams that could easily, easily get win the championship, but it's all going to come down to rest, fouls, and matchups. Semos mm-hmm. um, beat Morehead State this year. Semos offense has been d- damn good. It seems like game in and game out, but their defense is, could be the thing that costs them. Um, Tennessee Tech, a lot of good, a lot of good players in that lineup but they don't have a lot of size. That could be an area that, that catches up to them. Um, UT Martin's got a heck of a starting five, mm-hmm. in my opinion. That could be a dark horse, in my opinion, that doesn't have the one of the two bo- uh, double buys. Right. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. Um, should be a good tournament. Can't wait to be up there in Evansville and watch it all unfold. Do you have some place in mind you're like, Dad, we ate at this place last year. We got to go back there yeah. this year. Um, I hope I'm not pronouncing it wrong. Uh, Biagis? Biagis? Okay. Um, And and that may be a chain, but I've never seen it anywhere around here. But we ate there last year, and um, it was pretty good. 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 So looking forward to hopefully going back there and just getting up there. Anything else you want to add, TJ? I do. I have at least two things. One I wanted to cover last week, and I forgot until I got home. Okay. With the movement of players increased so much, not missing a year of eligibility okay. with their first transfer. Players are scoring a thousand points in their career, but not all at the same school. So, for example, in the MVC, Kobe King scored his 1000th point, honored by the Valparaiso. How do you feel about that when they haven't been all at the same school? And I have a subtext to this as well. I. I- I'm more of a fan if it's all at the same school. It seems weird. Like it's like, oh, well, that'd be like saying um, somebody that may have started, you know, like four years somewhere at a school that may not have been as good as where they transferred as a grad transfer. Mm -hmm. Let's say they scored like 700 points, and then like their last year they scored 300. Yeah, it's like, okay, so you're recognizing them for the thousandth point where they scored. 70% 70% of their points elsewhere. Yeah. It'd be like Marcus Damask. I think he's at 1,600 points if he transfers to Illinois and scores 400 next year. Are they going to honor him as a 2,000-point score, which is a hell of a deal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it seems weird that, like, to do it from that perspective. So, okay. The other one, this is – I cannot believe this is flying under the radar as much as it is. Okay. But Antoine Davis, whose father, Mike Davis, was a coach in Indiana. I think it was at – UT Arlington, somewhere okay. like that, but is now the head coach at Detroit Mercy. Okay. Antoine Davis is in his fifth season. Entering the Horizon League tournament tomorrow, he is 61 points shy of breaking Pete Maravich's all-time scoring record. No kidding. Yes. That is flying under the radar. Now... Pete Maravich couldn't play as a freshman, which I get it. That's the way the league rules, the NCAA rules were. He set the record in 83 games. Antoine Davis, given that he has a fifth COVID year, tomorrow will be playing in his 143rd game. 60 more games. Now, granted, realistically, they need to, they're in the 8-9 game. They're the 8 playing against Purdue-Fort Wayne as the 9 seed there they Purdue Fort Wayne's at nine. So do you think that's why it's flying under the radar? 
Because he's played so many Maybe. more games? Maybe. But I mean, Pete Maravich, I just, I have, Pete is such an icon that he did it without the three-point shot, without the shot clock. That is, yeah. In three seasons, he averaged 44 points a game. And now this kid's going to do it because I, I could, I think I could have lived with it. It was a four-year. But because of COVID, he's going to get a fifth year. Yep. I just, that is tough. That's because you get you kind of get to the point like well, where do you draw the line on that stuff then? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody has a red shirt, you know, medical year too, or they may have played just under the right amount of games. Mm-hmm. Then it's like you played like five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I mean, kudos to him. Oh, sure, for filling it up. Yeah, no knock but, on that. But man, I, and maybe it's because I'm a. I, you know, my father always talked about the stories about Pete Maravich and, you know, you always hear the stories about how they would always play freshman games before the varsity games and there would be traffic jams leaving the freshman game because people are like, oh, we're not going to watch the varsity play. <laughs> I think the interesting part is, too, is that Pete's dad, Press Maravich, was his coach at LSU. And so then here Antoine's doing it with his father, Mike, as the head coach. So that's interesting, too. So Yeah. That is interesting. That's a good take. Did you know in the Atlantic Sun Conference, if North Florida and Bellarmine play in the title game, yep. do you know what the breakdown is, how they're going to decide who it is? Because Bellarmine and North Florida cannot go to the NCAA tournament due to transition rules. Well, uh, Queens University can't either. Maybe that's who I'm thinking of. Queens University, not North Florida. Now, granted, they're the Bellarmine's the eight, Queens nine seed in their ten team tournament. True. I mean, it, I I don't know what the breakdown would be. It goes to regular season Isn't, title. So that'd be Stetson, right? Kennesaw State and Liberty tied at fifteen and three. Kennesaw State and Liberty. So since they tied, it will go to whoever advanced further in their conference tournament. So what about if they both get eliminated the same day? I think they both play tomorrow. I don't know. Does that go to the team that scored the most points? I don't know. Maybe it goes to the traditional tiebreaker. You know, maybe I would think Kennesaw, since they're the number one seed, there had been some sort of tiebreaker. But. Yeah, I think they've said whoever advances further. So in case Liberty gets to the semifinals and Kennesaw loses tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> Hopefully Eastern Kentucky wins it all. That's who I'm rooting for. Well, with that, TJ, that'll wrap up episode 13 here on View the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we recap the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley Conference tournaments. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud, and give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.